Good afternoon. Thank you, Paul and Leslie. Hope all are doing well today. Yeah. That'd be one. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, let's take our Bibles and uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 11, which uh, I believe that this week will be our last one in regards to the disciples' prayer, or the disciple that asked Jesus, how do we pray? And Jesus said this way. Let's turn to Luke chapter 11. We'll read once again the first four verses. It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive every one that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May God add a special blessing to reading of his word. Let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God... It's with a great deal of anticipation and thankfulness that we have come to enjoy this particular passage that was written for our good. On that given day that that disciple, after hearing Jesus pray, not obviously for the first time, but many times, seeing the difference between the religious leaders and the pagans and Jesus, he stuck out and he wanted to know how to pray like that. He could see that intimate relationship that Jesus had with the Father. Thank you, Father, for Jesus sharing that, not only for the disciples, but for us today. We would ask that you would have said today what you once said. The Holy Spirit would completely and exclusively lead us and teach us today. We're thankful for those that have come out today and opened their lives and are interested in learning more about you and becoming closer to you. Now, Father, we would ask for these moments that they would be yours as you work with us, you commune with us, you fellowship, you koinonia with us. Thank you for your word. We look to it with anticipation, asking again for the Spirit to lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, as we come to the last part of this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What do you think about that? <laughs> it almost sounds what is good? Yeah, we're pretty handy at it, aren't we? We're pretty handy, pretty handy. How does it strike you? Well, you're right. Uh, the scripture says in James. We'll look at that in a moment that he doesn't. So what does this mean, right? Well, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to use the board today. Uh, I'm not sure how it's all going to work out, but we will uh, see if we have something that works here. Um, probably the key word, maybe, let, let's just tie things together. I mean, uh, I'm kind of getting, there I am. I just want to dive in the middle of it because that's who I am. But. So let's take this prayer that Jesus has spent a great deal of time teaching uh, our Father. Wow, right? 
He's our source. He's our father. This is a family thing, if you will. We're not just anyone can make this prayer. This is someone that's in the family. This is someone that has placed their trust in God through Jesus Christ, our Father. There's an intimacy there. There's, there's, a, there's something there that's so close you can feel uh, his love for you. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. There's a sense of sacredness. He's only, only the Father. He's eternally holy and righteous and full of purity beyond. I, I can't even describe it for you. One day, one day in his presence... We will get it. And I think it will, even then, just completely blow our mind. Today, we couldn't even handle it. We wouldn't be able to handle it. Hallowed be thy name. What's the next part? Thy kingdom come. That's going to happen. In fact, the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, literally, there's like three petitions in regards to God, and there's three petitions in regards to man. Are they, are they going to happen? Absolutely. There's no question. So it's almost like we're claiming what he's promised. That's what this prayer is about. It's not asking anything that he wouldn't give because he's already promised it within his word. What's next? On earth as it is in heaven. How many things that we, we, some of this review obviously, but how many things in heaven are not being done God's way? (laughs) Think of that. Absolutely everything that happens in heaven is perfect, and it happens just the way God wants it. Oh, may it be on earth. (laughs) I don't believe God is wringing his hands, but I would probably. What the world, right? I created man. And the difference is sin. And then what? Give us this day our daily bread. So there were three petitions in regards to God, and so begins man's petitions. Let's get God first and giving us what we need. He's supplying. He's giving us provision, if you will. We talk quite a bit about that. That's not just food, but it's the whole sense of what you need. And if there was a point, what do you think was the key of that phrase? Give us this day our daily bread. And if you missed it, it's daily, every single day. This is the sense of dependence. If there's anything about this, if there's anything about this prayer, when you get to the end of it, you really, really, really should see that we do 100% depend and need to trust God. That's what this is about. The more we trust, the more we depend, the more we mature. That'll make sense in this last petition. We go from provision then on to what was the next one? Forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And we talked about a prerequisite. We talked about the fact that relationally that we need to forgive others to be forgiven, to have that sweet fellowship between us and God. And we certainly do need spiritual forgiveness, don't we? I mean, that's, uh, we need provisions for our daily, uh, I'm sorry, for our physical things, and we need spiritual wellness, if you will. The last one we come to, and, and let's set this up now for a moment. Now, the last one, it, it's almost like something, wow, I don't know that I fully understand that. Let's think about where we should go next. We've, got our, we've asked for our physical conditions to be met daily. And by the way, he's promised. We're claiming that. And then we're asking for the spiritual side to be well, to be full and nurturing and joy and peace, really enamoring and being part of our life. If you think about that, and, and someone would know that you would know this, 
as you regain the sweetness of a relationship that sin tarnished and was lost, as you confess those sins to the Lord Jesus, that refreshing sense of fellowship being rejoined, what would be the essence of the follow-up thought? Oh, may I never sin again, right? And that's one thing. Uh, When I come across someone that talks about, well, I have grace, I can sin all I want now. That's someone has a license to sin. That's, that is not biblical. <laughs> Paul makes it pretty clear. But someone then that really doesn't even have a desire not to sin probably isn't saved. I'm not his judge, his or her judge, but that doesn't make any sense to me because you fully don't understand grace, obviously. If it's someone that's trusted Christ, and, and maybe it's just a matter of understanding and coming into completion of the understanding that whole thing. But if you are living long-term with a license to sin, you have no idea of what salvation is. Our desire as sons of God should be to never sin again, ever. And I think that leads us to the last request. We need protection. Ephesians chapter 6, which we went a couple of times in the last, oh, I would say the last five or six years we've talked about putting on the whole armor of God. We need protection. That's the third petition that we're asking. But now let's get back to it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the Greek, that word for temptation is P-E-I-R-A-S-M-O-S, parasmos. What does it mean? Well, obviously, it was was, uh, translated within the King James that I use today as temptation. But let's, it's a neutral word. I'm going to just write that here. We'll, We'll probably have... I hope not horribly messy up here, but I'm hoping that somehow this makes some sense. Some sense. We'll just leave it that way. It's a neutral word. It can be translated temptation. It can be translated trial. It can be translated test. All of those things literally can be, and it is. Within the King James, most of the time, if you go to, we're going to go to James in a moment, because I think it's imperative that you understand that this word, parasmos, is just that. It's neutral. Now, there are those that have said, well, if it maybe shouldn't be translated temptation because now if we use the English words, there's three in particular that seem to come to mind, that that Greek word that can be translated into, one is temptation. Now, in the English, that would be some sense of leaning towards, again, I'm trying, that's why I'm going to use the board today. I'm starting in the middle with parasmus, which is a neutral term. If it's translated temptation, now, speaking from the English side, uh, we're a little bit closer to sin, are we not? As opposed to if I use the word trial, which that word could be translated trial, that seems to be a bit more innocuous and fitting God's plan, correct? Or if we use the word test, it may be for me even places it in the center. And if you have a test, you have the possibilities of either failing or when I was in school, we called it flunking. <laughs> and we had teachers that loved to take a red pencil, a red marker, and put F. <laughs> right? They were so irritated with that. And a test, by the way, you can either succeed or you can fail. And if we will, we're going to try to work on both sides of this neutral term that literally places us either on one side of it or on the other side of it being prone to one of two things. 
Parasmus. Yes. Uh, the translate the King James um, for that day and age when they would have selected terms, it fit uh, that meaning. It would seem that way, right? Uh, in fact, let's go to James. I think we need to go to James next. James chapter one, because let's play this out. Um, if we use the word uh, temptation, as which is in, is in the version that I'm using, if you use that word temptation, what what, what do you? Let's, let's, let's again. Now, the one thing I want to I want to absolutely. Uh, encourage you to think of, even those are the, there's a comma, I want you to think it of as a single thought. Don't break it into two. So saying it this way, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's one thought, the sense of protection, okay? But now let's break it and let's go back to, so if we say this, what, lead us not into temptation, just take that phrase, you're bothered by that. You should be. Because what does the Bible say in James chapter 1? Let's turn there for a moment. James chapter 1 and verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now what part of that? (laughs) It was stated in a number of ways. Okay. So, okay, well, let's change it then. Let's change this word to trial. Okay, stay in James. Are you still in James? Okay. James chapter 1 and verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers or various temptations. The King James, again, chose to use temptations. More than likely, you have trials, which trials, I think, fits that course much more handily because of the fact trials is what God uses to mature us. Temptations are what can happen in trials. We're going to be, that's what I'm hoping I can get done today. So both of those words, if you choose those right here, lead us not into trial. Wait a minute. God uses trials to mature us. In fact, we're supposed to rejoice after we went through a trial. Uh, how many of you rejoice for the trials you had this week? They're hard, aren't they? You don't, you, don't, you don't vote for them. You don't ask for them. You're literally asked to just endure them because it makes us stronger. And they come in order. I, I've, I've said this many times, but I just popped in my head now. Genesis chapter 22, Abram's test. And that was a test. And then again, the King James says that God tempted Abram. With what? A test. Now, that test couldn't have come 10 years earlier. Certainly couldn't have come 20 years earlier. He couldn't even be expected to protect his wife when he was asked, right? But now he's been asked to sacrifice his son. That's a test. He had the, he, now, this is, again, this is key. He has the chance to fail or to succeed. Abram did wonderfully, didn't he? He did wonderfully, which, a lot, which tells us something, which this will tie in hopefully later in the fact that God does not give you a test of which you are not capable of succeeding. He always brings them in the right order. If we fail, we have failed because we've allowed temptation to seduce us to sin. So if we take... Now, obviously, a trial is okay. The temptation is... God brings trials. Temptations come... Now, temptations can come from two places. From within. That's called lust, correct? Uh, A trial that's sent our way. Uh, It can come... And there's an inward pull, if you will... And then we have the external, and that is Satan and his legion of demons that love to place a hook out there, wanting to get you, catch you, 
make you bite. Uh, most of the time, it's not really very clear. It's just like uh, if you're fishing, which I, I, I shouldn't even be talking about how to fish. I don't know how to fish. But a fisherman that's successful is using bait and a hook that is very appealing to the fish. Now, uh, Satan does not use anything other than that same concept. He doesn't throw out a, a bait that says, don't bite on this because you will lose your life. Oh, I should take that one. Of course not. It's something that's shiny. It's something that, that really infatuates you. In fact, there's an old saying that uh, sin fascinates and then it assassinates. It's pretty good, isn't it? Some, some of those older things, that literally, literally it captures you. That would be on one side of this parasmus. In fact, I think that's the thought. It's amazing how I can lose anything. What do I do with it? No, nobody's up here. I've lost my marker. Hmm, well, what a deal. Where did I hide it? Oh, here we go. Here we go. It's in my Bible. So if, would this be fair if we went ahead and used test? And on one side, we know that God uses trials. I'm going to use that word because this parasmus is capable of all three terms. It's neutral. So I could go on this side and say trial. God uses those. Now, trials aren't fun. I, I want to make sure you understand that in case you didn't know that. A trial is not fun. Did anyone have a fun trial? There's no hands in the air. In fact, it's rather silent. You're saying, you are a moron. Why would you even ask something like that? On the other side of it, and this seems to be the sense of protection. When I say the English word temptation, what does it mean? Ooh, it means, it, by the way, it's, it's still not sin, correct? We know that's true. It's when the lust within, and this is talking about in James, locks on to that and clings to it, that's when it becomes sin. So it's almost like, and we're back to this test, that's why I'm using the, what we're doing, a test being in the middle, and a trial is for our good, but a trial can turn into a temptation when our lust takes over. Now, how many of you have been tempted? No one. Well, how about that? <laughs> you are liars. <laughs> It starts within, doesn't it? It's part of the net. It's part of the, the system. There's three ways to sin or to be tempted. Ultimately, is through. And it says this. Uh, is that First John? I can't remember. The lust of us for the eyes. That'll get you in trouble, right? In fact, I think of Job. It just pops in my mind. What did he? He made a pact with himself not to look on. I don't know if he used the word maiden or uh, anyway. He was careful what he put his eyes on. And then there's the lust of the flesh. That'll get you in trouble, a lot of it. And then the last one is the pride of life. And every single sin somewhere is captured in those three degrees of sin. Temptation. Temptation has been described as a seductive act which draws us into sin. It seems a little bit pronounced, a little more pronounced than the word trial in the sense of the sin side, if you will. What is God hoping to accomplish? Let's go ahead and, and just from the sense of using James chapter 1, verse 2, of in various 
it's, it's seen as beneficial, being seen as something that's good when we have a trial. What is God hoping to accomplish? What is it that he really wants to get to the bottom of? What does he want from us in sending this trial? Just to make our life miserable? And there's a lot of people who actually think God is a misery-loving God. He's made us and he wants us to suffer. There's a lot of people who actually believe that. He's like a sadist killjoy, right? He's got a pitchfork. He's just trying to make us miserable. Perseverance, which, again, develops into maturity. What did you say, Paul? Confirm that. Okay, and how do we stand on that truth, by the way? I think that's good. Where, how do we stand on it? How do we persevere? By reading the Bible. By reading the Bible. That, that's very key because that allows us to see, particularly you think of Hebrews chapter 11. If you think you've had a rough day, a rough week, a rough life, just go ahead and start paging through and reading Hebrews chapter 11. And there were some that were delivered and there were some that were not. Let me, let, me, let me work this through. I've asked a question, and you guys have done well, but I want to get right to the base root of it. I want, what does God really want in the base of a trial? And you can say maturity at the end. That's okay, because that's what happens to us. But there's, a, there's an avenue. So let's, let's this, I'm thinking of the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay. The, the right response from their heart. And that is? Trusting God, right? Now, it's interesting. This parasmus, this test, guess what? You are going to trust something or someone more than when the test came. Every single time. You can write that down. Every single time, you will trust more after the test than before. But the key is, who or what are you trusting? Let's come back to our, you guys, you guys it's kind of, Actually, just ill-fated for me because I, w- I was going to have like three examples of how I could lead you into this. I didn't even, I said the three guys, what did I say about those three guys that just made you get there? It was really good. It was effective. I might try it next time. But I just mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed, and boom, you guys got the answer. Think of that for a moment, though. It fits this rather nicely. Would you not say that that was a test? These three guys were told to bow down to that idol, to that statue that's glaringly large of which everyone else around them is bowing down. And they could have come up with probably 50 reasons why it would be good for them, potentially, to just, this one time, to just bow down to it, and it's over. We don't have to do this again. It was a test. Excuse me? Depends on which way you go with it. Now, I'm, again, I'm using English terms today. Temptation to me is much closer to sin than a trial is. That's where I want to get to. Those three guys had a choice. This was a test. They could fail or they could succeed. To succeed or to fail, what would they have done? They would have done what Americans do well. Fear the unknown. Fear what we see as being the immediate punishment. They would have saw, ooh, it looks like it's important, especially when they were called out. See, they had a chance to get it right. <laughs> they were reprimanded even by Nebuchadnezzar himself, because he kind of liked these guys. This was part of that Jewish team, this theme that came and they surrounded. He, he really liked these guys. They were smart. They were bright. They just needed to get this right because I'm the king. I'm number one, and you just need to follow through here for like 30 days. It's not a big deal. You guys understand that if you don't do that, I'm going to throw you in that furnace. What could have they been captivated by? They're actually, their temptation would have been to fear, to fear men more than God. 
I think that goes on every day in America today. Every single day. That temptation to fear. Oh, I'm scared. Or the one they took was to trust God. No matter what. If you look at their answer, it's really interesting. They didn't absolutely know that God was going to deliver. Oh, absolutely not. They just nope. said. Doesn't matter. He is able to That's right. deliver. And it doesn't matter. And guess what? We're not going to bow. And it does, <laughs> even if he doesn't, we will right. not heed to you. Now, see, this is, this is where I want to get you today. That's a prime example of literally that trial, that test led to trust. It led to trust. What do you think happened the next time that those guys were, were hit with a test? That even their life was threatened. That's easier, right? Even going through school, I, I think of going through school, making right choices, it becomes easier to do the right thing the next time. It, 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 it builds on it, if you will. Uh, that Abraham didn't, Abram didn't, was it Abraham when he, when he had, that would have been Abraham when Isaac would have been asked to be here. And, and you think the father of many, right? I mean, that, that, that's a, that's a, how many, fa- how much was he fathering? One at this point that God would have said was receivable, that was recognizable in his kingdom that he wanted to go and make him as many as the stars or the sand, the sea. Uh. There we go, sand in the second. I was like, yeah, I know what I want to say. The stars are up there, the sand's down here, but a grain of sand. I mean, you just think of that. And, and it, you know, it's thought to be that both of those numbers are about the same. And that's crazy. And in Isaac's situation, it was the same. Abraham didn't know whether his son would actually die or not, but Hebrews tells us that he accounted it that God was able no matter what to raise him. No matter because because here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the here's the deal. He had to trust God enough to do what God asked, and he believed that God would bring him from the dead. Ultimately, if he he was set to slay him. Because he knew God promised, and if God promised, he trusted what he said. Now, that's living large on trust. Amen. Now, what happens? Let's play the other side. I'm going to think of how we could do this and get the other result. I didn't do that very well. I was looking for good ones. I was thinking of Danny and the lion's den. It's a test. You can't pray to your God. You have to. Right? It was all set up. It was a setup from the very beginning. Have you ever felt set up? Have you ever, like, somebody set you up? Now, here's the key component. I'm a little bit early on this. No, I can't do it yet. I can't do it. We'll come back to it. What did he do? What, was it? what would have been the temptation? There's some things that happen on the temptation side that can get you into this test. You know, and you lose sight. You lose the trust that you need. And it's based on... Boy, there's a lot of things I'm throwing out. I'm really not quite ready to do. What would you say? How do you get to the temptation side? What, let, let's, let's play with those three guys. I, I, let's just stay right there. But the, the, the results, I want you, you know what they did. They were like heroes. They're heroes. Three stand and a million or whatever it was out there. I don't know, there's a large number that just bow down. What was the difference? What could have they used this test? How could have they switched sides? We know they trusted in God. What could have they said to themselves about, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, I get this. We've got a choice to make. How would they have ended up on the temptation side to where it literally turned it into sin? They would have been tempted to bow down. And why would have they? I don't want to get thrown into a fiery furnace. 
Yes, right. <laughs> and, and how would you, well, by, by the way, but yeah, well, go ahead and, and respond to that. Why, why, why me? What are you doing, God? What, what's going on here? When you use the word why, I try never to use it, particularly in situations of trial or test. Because what it does, it puts me in the middle of it. You ask the question why and who's in the middle of it. Why did you do this to me? Why am I having this happen? Why usually puts you right in the middle of it. You know what? Every single time that's on the side of temptation, I've said that when you go from the trial side, God wants you to trust more. That's ultimately, that's what he wants you to do. That's why he is maturing you through trials. Because the deeper, the more difficult the trial is, the, the, the easier it is for us to see we need God more. That's really what the trial is designed to do. And when we respond properly, we trust him more. Even minute by minute. Think of it when you went through the last really serious trial. Guess what's happened? Pro- provided that you let the trial to mature you, it was more dependence upon God. And you became smaller. You know, really, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know what that's really saying? That's a self-distrust. Self-distrust. This one that says this prayer, which myself included, our Father, I don't trust myself enough to get it right when a trial comes my way. I want you to protect me. (laughs) I need you to protect me. I want you to protect me. I don't want to sin anymore. You know what's underneath temptation, though, when you ask the question why, or I deserve this. Now, that's on the other side of it. They didn't deserve the fire, obviously, but but you, you look at a temptation, and whether it's a sexual lust, whether it's a material lust, whether it's a power lust, I deserve this. And that, Satan loves to whisper that. I think it's in the right ear. He's whispering all the time, but he's whispering, you deserve this. You really need this. You're important. You need this. I'm convinced that when temptation literally turns into sin, one of the key components in making that happen is pride. The importance of self. This connection, if you will, is pride. Every time you see sin, pride is involved, and it's connecting from temptation to sin. Now, if you're tempted, again, that tempt, you're living in temptation. One of the things I was going to say for later, but I think it's good, it's, it just resonated with me today. One of the things in the sense of protection, if you think you're out in the middle of an ocean, that just almost throws me off, and I'm in a small boat. Ah, it's worse, right? A ship would be one thing, but you know what? A trial wants you to stay in the boat. Staying in literally the hands of God. If Satan can get you out of the boat, you're in trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. Really soon kind of trouble. In fact, it's even interesting. I don't know why, but I thought about this today. I was, it was early this morning. I was thinking about the sea itself. And you don't have any fresh water with you. I don't know how close you get if you don't have any water to look at all the water around you. And we know that there have been those disastrous stories where people would have taken the closest thing they knew to have water and ingested it. That's kind of how what happens to a trial when we just don't stay in the boat, when we don't stay in the hands of God. You don't stay in the boat, you get swallowed by a whale. <laughs> now, Jonah wanted to be in the boat, but the faith found out he shouldn't have been in the boat. He should have been in Joppa. Or where was he? No, he's going to Nineveh. I'm sorry. He went to Joppa, right? I'm getting all my turn. But think of this. Sometimes things that look safe, especially when we think we really need it, 
turn out to be something that will literally fail, will allow us to fail. Uh, seawater is, do you guys, how much, what a percent of salt is in seawater? Does anybody know? And it varies some because as river, and it's kind of a mystery to me. I've, I've, they've tried to explain it to me, but they say that, you know, the rivers are bringing in sedimentation. They're getting salt off the rocks, and it flows into this body of water called the oceans. But around those points where they come in, the salinity or the salt content is always lower. Hmm. And you can think of evaporative processes. You, there's a whole lot of things. There's underground uh, volcanoes that blow up. You know, I don't, and it just never has made fully sense to me. But the one thing I do know is it's 96.5% pure water, and it's 3.5% salt, and it will kill you. You will fail. Stay in the boat. Let's go back to, let's see, where we're at. Were we still talking about the three guys? Kind of. I, I want. I just. I just happened to. Uh, two thoughts, and they're on the opposite sides of this parasmus. Look what Job said. I think Job had an idea that this was a test. And by the way, did he do well at first? Amazing. I mean, I just. I, you know, I'm not saying the first time I read it, I probably didn't even know what I was reading. But to think of the fact of how he responded after all of this, woof. God literally let Satan out of the box to show what? What was he trying to show? He was literally trying to show how much Job trusted in him. That trial literally was to show the rest of the community, the rest of the world, to Satan himself that, you know what, I can trust Job because Job trusts me. And I'm not sure how many trials actually happen in our lives to show surrounding family, friends, communities that when we trust God, what is that about, right? Because he can do that. I don't know why God brings trials into your life or my life, but they're for our good. Now, the other thing is, is it wrong to ask God not to lead us into a trial? Let's say that we used this parasmus we would use instead of even a, well, we could say test or trial. Lead us not into trials. That's actually very biblical. Jesus said it as he was going to the cross. May this cup pass from me. what, What is he saying? I'd rather not have this trial. But <laughs> your will be done and not mine. You see, whatever's the best plan, God, I just assume not go through this trial. And you know what? It happens a lot. There's nothing wrong with not desiring to go through a trial. But God, I'm going to trust you because you know if this trial that you have planned for me is better for me than not having a trial. That's trusting God. I think there, too, you, you, you actually mentioned it in the book of Job and it also talks about it in the book of Colossians. That sometimes it's not that it doesn't have anything to do with us. It does. Sometimes it's not about us. God is showing the heavenly kingdom. That's right. It's about him. It's, 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 Always. There's a war Always. Always. between Satan and God. And God is using us to show the, his angels and Satan's angels. The, and what's the best way for God to show something? When we trust I can't, if you get nothing else out of today, the bottom line is God wants us to trust him more. That, that, that's the bottom, that's, that's it. Think, think of even this disciple's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Not, not this week's bread. Give us this week our daily bread. That's kind of cool. You could just pray that once a week. Or let's make it easier for us because we like stuff. Give us this month our daily bread. 
Well, we've got 29 more days that we have to pray that. No, 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 no. The dependence, the vulnerability that we have is just humans. And you know what? When you go through some really tough trials, you really see how vulnerable you really are. Really see it. And here's the deal. When you're more vulnerable, do you lash out and become part of the trial? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Or do you say, you know, Lord God, I need you now more than I've ever needed you. And I'm seeing it more clearly. The more difficult this thing has become, the more I know I need you. That's why Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm strong. That's exactly right. And, again, the pride factor. Why did God let that thorn in the flesh? Somehow Satan buffeted Paul. I don't know what that was all about. I've heard a lot of different things. It doesn't matter. It was obviously serious and it was painful. And for three times, Paul said, I would just as soon get rid of this. God, could you actually? He didn't say, could you? No, he would. But would you take this away? And God said, no. Huh? What? Is he a killjoy? No, he explains why. You remember what it was? So that I would not exalt myself. That's exactly right. That trial in Paul's life, which I'm under the impression was probably for the remainder of his life, was a key component for him to be in a sense of humbleness and trusting God and God alone. Isn't it? It's, it's absolutely true. There's a lot of things that we endure, quite honestly, that obviously they're for our good, but you know what? It's to ward off pride. Some of the hardest people to reach are those that are incredibly wealthy, incredibly powerful, and in their little world, they have no need of anyone. I love, no, I don't love it, but I'm, it, it's fascinating to me to listen to someone, and a, a guy or a gal, it doesn't matter, and that they've just pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. I've done it all myself. And the whole concept is I, I, me, me. And you just say, if God I'm took there. one out, one breath away, it's over. In fact, there was, Jesus told a parable, the farmer was blessed with a great crop. I, 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 I. And God said, tonight, fool, whose soul? Right? Pride. Pride. Ooh. Look at John chapter 17 for a moment. John, or no, you know what? We didn't even go to Job, did we? I went there and then I didn't. Let's go to Job 23, verse 10. 23, verse 10. Now, this is kind of in the heat of the friends displaying their quote-unquote love for their friend Job. Verse 10. Job is responding to Eliphaz, and he says, But he knoweth the way that I take. This is speaking of he being God. But he knoweth the way that I take. In other words, I'm innocent. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You see, Job, had, he knew what was going on. He knew that there was a trial in effect. And literally, he even saw, isn't, isn't that what trials do? The dross or the impurities are peeled off, and the gold is what remains. Job had it right. He had it right. Let's go to John chapter 17 for a moment. John chapter 17. And Jesus, in the high priestly prayer, prays. We'll just go to verse 15. I'm kind of diving in the middle of it, but this is... <laughs> Just, just read it, and isn't that exactly how we sometimes we want to get out? I, Jesus, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. I want to get out of this world, right? Isn't that what you pray? I hope. You, I mean, I want to get out of here. I'm good. Let's go. But watch what he says. He says, I'm not praying that. No. 
but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Isn't that exactly what he just taught them how to pray in Luke chapter 11, verse 4? <laughs> keep them from evil. Don't let them be captured by evil. Think of the intent now, uh, how God uses trials, or in this case, temptation even for that matter. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. To the same event, seen very differently. Uh, as you get here, Joseph is it's toward the end of Genesis, and Joseph, his brothers sold Joseph into slavery. Nice brothers. That's cool, isn't it? Yeah, that's great. That's, that's unbelievable. Boy, they really love me. And had no remorse. They actually sat down and ate while they had him in a pit. Ishmaelites come by and they sell him. and It never does say what they did with the money. Well, at least I, it probably didn't go well because it doesn't work like that. At any rate. So what do you think was keeping the brothers and Joseph apart in their own mind? Their father. Because I think, they're, well, in fact, they said it when Jacob, Joseph's father, died. Oh, we're in trouble now. Oh, my bro- those, uh, Joseph is going to take it out on us because he's number two in the Egyptian kingdom. He's going to take us out now that dad's gone. Uh, what would you do if you were Joseph? What would you be tempted to do? This is a test. This was a test for Joseph, wasn't it? What's he going to do? Temptation? <laughs> Take them out, right? They deserve it. Oh, that's another thing. Isn't that another thing? Yes. Under the self, the self and pride? They deserve it, right? <laughs> There's all kinds of things that actually drive us from temptation to sin, but in the middle of it all is pride. But what did he say? Let's go to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God bent it unto good. To bring to pass it is this day to save much people alive. <laughs> what you used as to be sinning, God used to literally save our family. To save our family. Now, along the way, it's interesting that Joseph was tested a number of ways. Never failed. Never failed. What would have been the hardest probably that he sat in prison for two years after he had helped. Remember those, the baker and the butler? And he said... When you are in, reinstalled into the Pharaoh's court, would you please tell somebody that I'm in here for the wrong reason? And it says very clearly, for two full years. How would you be doing there? At those end of the two years, would you be asking, why, God, are you doing this? Right? It'd be simpler. It'd be easier, wouldn't it? You see, the longer you're in a trial, the easier it is to let the trial own you and the easier it is to fall into temptation. Isn't it? It's absolutely true. A short trial, in many cases, is easier to withstand than a long one. Now, to be certain, let's go back to how God uses trials or testings. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. In fact, we'll have to go a little bit before that. Yeah, we'll want to go into verse three, or chapter 3. Let's read this for a moment. In verse 13, uh, Matthew 3.13. Matthew 3.13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, and comest thou to me? Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered or allowed him. 
Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, that's a pinnacle, isn't it? What if you would have been there watching that unfold? Whoa. This is pretty special. This is the Son of God. This is somebody we need to really pay attention to. This is getting it. Oh, I can't believe this is happening, right? You can, you can almost feel those that would have been there. They say, wow. Guess what's next? <laughs> then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of, de- of the devil. Now, again, that word is parasmus or parasis, which would be the verb form of this same word. It's a neutral term. There was a test. He could succeed or he could fail. Now, we know that Jesus couldn't fail, but again, without being the opportunity for a failure, it's not really a test. And we know as you read through that chapter, well, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's get this right. You mean the Holy Spirit led God the Son into the wilderness and he didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights so that Satan could tempt him? Yeah. For whose good was that? To see our Savior massively blow away the opposition. And how did he do it? The same way you're asked to do. With the word of God. With the word of God. You see, he was put on display for our good. And again, he was truly son of God. And it's, again, I think is, this is really important. Uh, Jesus Christ, I mean, again, you know, let's just take from this. Now, wait a minute. Just, just a little bit before this tempting, this testing, God says from heaven and the Holy Spirit lands on this one that was just baptized. And he says, this is my son in whom well please. And I, there had to have been something, I mean, a special moment. You see, Jesus, you know, the, you know the greatest temptation again is pride. That's what Satan fell to. Right out of the box. Pride. I deserve more. And you know what? Jesus didn't rely on himself to battle Satan. This is, this is another key component. We're going to talk about this and we're going to explore this box. Don't let me get away from this before we leave today. Because we leave some things out. What are we told to do to make Satan flee? You're going to get this right. I know you will. How do you make Satan flee? Oh, he got me again. That's not what it says, Ernie, but that's the key answer. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. And usually we take that last half of the verse. You did not hear what Ernie said. Okay. I'm not ready for that to be I'm not ready for that to be submitted. Okay. If you think about it, we, we want to work from the from the backwards in, right? How do we make Satan, Satan flee? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Tell me what resisting means to you. I guess we're in it. We're just gonna go for it now. We're, we're here. We're just going to dive into it. What does resisting the devil look like? Having a conversation with him? In the name of Jesus, I ask you to flee. I'm going to tell you something. You are not strong enough to do business personally with Satan. 
If you are, or you think you are, you are greatly deluded. Okay, so you're praying to whom? You're praying to God. Okay, okay I'm, I'm going to look for the answer. So how do we resist the devil? Isn't it at that point you're, you're making a choice? Is my love for God more important, or he is to God more important? In my personal, what I want, I'm making, a, I'm making a choice of obedience, or I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to do what I want. Make, I'm making an obvious choice. And so I'm going to say, if God is, if it's, I'm sin, if I'm going to sin, that, I mean, that's more important than my, my fellowship with God right now. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Now, when we, uh, when let's let's put it another way. So. Um, when you resist Satan, a lot of people, they really see that as an, as an active role that we do. Resist him, and he will flee. I don't know what that means. I don't know if you wave your Bible at him. I don't know if you talk at him. I don't know if you claim. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're really, I, I don't know where they all go with that. But it's amazing, isn't it, though? There's so many people who can, quote, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. They don't know what's in front of it. We're the use to doing things in our own power. Exactly. Where, where, where are we at? We're right there. We're right there. In fact, we resist in whose power? Our power. And we do make a choice. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Wow, that sounds so powerful. And it's, by the way, it's in the Bible. But let's go back and find out. If you work backwards, there's something that even is. Now, now Ernie told us to submit to God. Okay? But there's even something else before that that ties in beautifully with the same thing of where we are in a test. Let's go to James chapter 4, and let's watch it unfold. James chapter 4. <clears throat> where is James? Come on. It's got to be here. There it is. James chapter 4, and let's turn to verse 7. Here's the part that most people remember about verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right? And then the resist part, you make it something up, some kind of a formula. Okay? Well, let's take all of verse 7. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Ooh, there's another word there. Now, you guys all caught on submit, which is good. I have no problem with that. Okay, we're going to talk. If I was going to ask you how do you submit to God, just hold that within yourself for a moment. Okay? I mean, we're going to talk about it in a moment. But there's something there. There's a word there that wants us to go back further. And that word is, therefore. If there's a therefore, find what it's there for. Okay, let's go back. So let's go to verse 5 and verse 6. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? In other words, giving you up to someone else. But verse 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the, oh, the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Uh, isn't that exactly where we're at? Once again, pride should be the first and foremost thing. And that's why we're to ask to submit to God, because of the pride factor. God resists the proud. So that's interesting. So we, most of the time we resist the devil in a prideful, self-made manner. Correct? We leave God out of it. We can handle this. It's in the Bible. Resist the devil. We've got, we've got the word of God. We can quote some scripture. We can probably even quote the ones that Jesus quoted to him. You see what I'm saying? But it's in our power. Submit to God. All right, let's talk about that. That's the key component, by the way. 
How do you resist the devil? This is really cool. This is so easy. You want to resist the devil today? Submit to God. If you, that's, that's a key component. That's how you submit to God is you have to be in humbleness. You showed me somebody prideful and you want to see about a submission to God and there's no way. In fact, that's usually why they take the temptation side because it's easier to agree with Satan because you're getting what you want. And he's so good at, you want this, right? He pitches you stuff you want. That's throwing that bait out. You don't, I don't know how you fish again, but you don't give the bait to something that, I don't like that. No, no, no. He's wanting stuff that you want and desire and think is yours. It's all in pride. It's all in pride. When pride then, when that sense of humility captures us, then it's, we are allowed to submit to God. And when we submit to God, literally, that's when we are resisting the devil. And if you're not submitted to God today, you cannot resist the devil. It's impossible. Can't do it. So now the question is, how do we submit to God? How do we do it? How do you submit to God? It's really quiet in here. And did you notice in verse 5 of James chapter 4? What did they talk about? It talked about the, 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 excuse me? Not quite. The, the, okay, here, listen carefully. The blank saith. The scripture brings it to us right there. How do you submit to God? You do what he asks you to do. The word of God. Well, think of it. Putting on, how many of you put on the, uh, the armor of God today? What was the one offensive weapon? Sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Without the Word of God, you can't get anywhere. You cannot submit to God unless you're doing what is in the Word of God and taking it personally into your life. And think of this. Talk about the devil not wanting to hang around. But if you're literally doing what God has asked you to do from what He said in the Word of God, guess what? He's not going to want to be around you. Now, here's the key. It's not necessarily important for us to pray to God that Satan leaves us alone. No, no, no. Pray to God that he helps us do what he wants us to do because that very essence of us turning in to what Jesus Christ looked like makes the devil flee. How did Jesus Christ respond in those three times that he was tempted in those three times? Guess what? What did it say? And Satan left. Why? Because he put on and he was everything that God wanted him to be. When you are everything that God wants you to be, Satan has no beachhead. He has no, he has no foothold. Now, there's two things that in the test, I want to talk about another word, uh, lead us into temptation. Temptation, we've talked quite a bit, almost all of our time today has been parasmus. Look at the word just in front of that, into. Lead us, do not lead us into temptation. That word into is actually, the Greek word is ice, E-I-S, ice. And it has the sense of being in the power of or in the hands of. Let's read it this way. Do not lead us in the power of temptation or a trial. You see the difference? See, this trial to you is allowing you to trust God as long as you're outside of the trial. You take the, let's go back to those three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did you notice they never let the trial get inside of them? Daniel and the lion's den. That trial, that lion's den never got into Daniel. The trial was around him. I'm going to go back to my boat situation. When you're in the boat in the middle of the ocean, 
I don't care what the sea does. It's just like that guy in that, that lighthouse that we have that picture. It just thrills me. He's just standing out. He's just chilling, right? In the, and, I mean, that is a furious, furious sea going around that lighthouse. And that boat can be going up and down and around and everywhere. But the trial is not in you. There's a huge difference to that. And you would think about, so don't let the trial or the temptation inhabit us. Maybe I should say it that way. Do you see that? That's, again, that protection we're asking of God. Don't let that trial, that temptation, be so overwhelming that it's irresistible. And I become within that. And again, you see on your viewfinder, if the trial becomes bigger than your God, the trial becomes your God. That's literally what happens. If you have fear, fear is... That fear is literally your God, because if you fear more than you have faith or trust in God, then that fear has supplanted God himself. Find out what you're the most fearful of, and I'll tell you what, it's more powerful than your trust for God, otherwise you wouldn't fear. It's that simple. I mean, that sounds harsh, but it's that simple. How do we solve that? Submit to God. How do you submit to God? You do what the word says. It's amazing how that word can find places too. I came across something today. I said, ooh, ouch. Ah, I got to deal with that. It's amazing how the word does that, doesn't it? It just knows, ooh, I missed that before. Not today, right? You know what I'm being asked to do? I'm being asked to make sure during this test that I'm seeing as a trial to trust God more. Here's another one about sin. Sin takes you farther than you want to go keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. <laughs> you guys heard that? Probably. Isn't that true? Oh, my. Talk about underestimating the cost of what sin does. I wonder what kind of ministry that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had after this. As they dealt with this, you know, the, the temptation to have pride. <laughs> Look what I, I obeyed God. Look at me now. Yeah, and see, it's amazing. It, it, Paul's really touching on another thing. You see, they, they pass the test with flying colors. And then there's another test. How do you handle success? Isn't it? It's, it and by the way, the test of success, that's a toughie. Because you want, right? Because there's accolades and there's, wow, I can't believe what you, whatever it is. What, you know, you just fill in the blanks. You know what? There's a test in that, and that's a tough test. Now, they, no, 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 wait, wait a minute. Stop. Um, no, I don't remember me being really any importance in any of that at all. God gave the strength and God gave the opportunity. And it's God that the glory is about. This is all about Jesus. This isn't about me. You know what, do you know what was absent? The same things that move you from temptation to pride. I'm sorry, from temptation to sin is pride. Do you see how this all fits together? It's just the same. It's just, and that's why Satan keeps using it because we just, Really? Can you believe it? It's the oldest trick in the book, and it still works. Every single day. Every single day. Sometimes the temptation, like when you get over something, is if you're a certain mother, thank you, God, for helping me to resist that temptation I used to submit to. Yeah. But to stay in that position of... See, that's exactly where we... See, let's think about it. Where Paul has taken us right now, it's exactly the frame of mind. Where, let's, pray, let's pray the prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, what, you see there's a sense, almost a tracking, of when you, when you, when you see how, how awful sin has been to us, whether it's initially for our salvation, but even the sin that causes a breakdown in relationship amongst personal relationships or God himself, the last thing we want to do is sin again. And we know that it's us that sins. So in humbleness, we're crying out for his protection. It's literally, look at the Psalms. David, you are my rock. You are my refuge. You are my protector. You are, it's the same. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray. When you see God as your protector and refuge and, heal, and healer, for that, for that matter, guess what? It places you in the perfect position of humility is where that's a great place to be if you want to be protected. In fact, if you aren't in a state of humility, sin is just around the corner. In fact, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go there for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There was one other thing that we wanted to make, make sure we understand this. Um, as you're turning there, where did I tell you to go even? Okay, I was going to, yeah, that, just, let's go there. Let me just talk about, because this is a place we were last week. There's two things, and I think I actually said it before, that Satan loves to use, and these tie in to temptation to move you to sin. I don't think I gave you these two. Um, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, you might write this down. I think it's verses 26 and 27. That's Ephesians chapter 4. Verse, don't turn there right now. But 26 and 27. There's two things, that, two tools that Satan loves to rip out of his box. And he uses them every opportunity he gets. And one leads to the other. We were talking about it last week. You know what sets us up? Paul kind of backed us up in how we really should be thinking about this, our protection. And it's perfect where we were last week. You know what does not allow us to forgive those that have trespassed against us? And by the way, that's a prerequisite. You will not be forgiven of God for your daily dirty feet if you're not going to forgive your brother. How do you not forgive your brother? What are the things that keep you from forgiving your brother or sister? What is it? And we asked this question last What's behind forgiveness? What is literally the, the foundation that forgiveness is built on? It's love. It's love. At the basis of forgiveness is love. What keeps us from forgiving? What keeps us from love for that brother or sister? Now, again, they've done something that requires forgiveness, which means they've harmed us. They've whateverness, right? You know the two things that just, just bark loud? See if you agree. Anger. I can't believe he did that to me. I can't believe he said that about me. I can't believe she's told that that way. You know what anger leads into? And this is, this is what's talked about. Don't give Satan a beachhead. You know how he gets a beachhead? When we let prolonged anger take place. You know what that's called? Bitterness. You know where bitterness, both of these literally are based in pride. You're angry, why? Now again, Jesus said righteous anger. And by the way, if you want to know if your anger is right, is this something God would be mad about? Most of the time, what stuff I'm mad about is not what God would be mad about. Correct? And then bitterness, to be bitter about what? Those things absolutely allow temptation to become reality and sin. In fact, bitterness itself is sin. Anger is not, provided that it's dealt with quickly. Okay, 
I wanted to lay that out because, again, do you see how this is, how we go from a, an innocuous, neutral position to literally which side are you going to take? This is a test. Which side are you going to choose? Now, where did I tell you to go? Okay. Yeah, let's go there for a moment. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10. I'll be there in a second. And let's dial in to verse 13. It's a verse that you guys know very well. But let's see. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now, pr- stop there. You should be thanking God for that for you right now. You guys, maybe some of you older uh, people here, I'm not going to say any names or anything. There was a comedian of yesteryear. His name was Flip Wilson. Does anybody remember him? Now you're trying to be in denial. There's a few noddings of the heads, okay? And he was known for one thing. That's exactly right. Ernie said it exactly. The devil made me do it, you know, especially when he was caught in something, right? How many times, I'm not sure how many people caught on to that and said, well, it's not my fault. The devil made me do it, right? That right there, that verse lays it out very clearly. No, 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 no. The devil didn't make you do anything. This is not a supernatural temptation. This is a temptation that is only common to man. This is something that is only yours. It's not the devil. Let's, excuse me? Yeah, the devil made me do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. literally. Literally. Yeah. literally. And then Adam said, of course, to begin with, God, it's your fault. Yeah. It's your fault. Yeah, you gave me Eve, right? He took a rib, and you, what, what can I say? That was the first McRib, right? Oh, uh, the first, Bill Clinton. <laughs> first what? First Bill Clinton. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay. Where did, oh, yeah. Let's, let's keep going. Verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. Oh, isn't that cool? But God is faithful. Who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you are able but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. See, that's a promise. The Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, is literally claiming what he's promised. That's really what the whole prayer is about. You're claiming what has been promised. But look at this. This is the verse that no one talks about. You just pull into verse 3. And I've done it many, many times because it says everything I need to know. But look what sets it up. This isn't by coincidence. Verse 12. Uh, Let's go to verse 11. Now, all these things happened unto them for example, that they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Watch verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You know the quickest way to get into temptation? I I don't know why I, I haven't said it yet today, but he prefaces the very verse 13 with the very same essence he's got everywhere else. How do you submit to God? Why do you submit to God? Because pride is horrifying. You know why you fall into temptation? Because pride is the issue. Pride is at the issue of everything that takes this test, this God completing you. And how do you respond to it? I'll just say it this way. If you respond with pride, you are doomed to failure. If you come with a humble heart, using that trial to perfect you, what does that do? That allows you to trust and depend on God more than you've ever trusted on Him before. 
There literally is how God uses those trials. And it's perfect if you think about the disciples' prayer. You can just see the humility dripping after you've been asked to forgive those that have, have, have trespassed against you so that you can be forgiven, to be gained a fellowship, the peace and joy that's yours. The next thing is, oh, God, keep me. Protect me from having anything, any trial that could take it that's irresistible for you to move. Do you see it? There's this plea for protection. It's just vast. And it's true. You show me someone like that that's willing to trust God with everything, you're looking out to him as the focus, temptation doesn't have a chance. Maybe a trial, maybe a test, but guess what? You'll just trust him more. Isn't that exactly true? I don't, is this sort of, is this just too busy up there? I, I, I don't know, it, to me it was, it was my head. It was just, got to start there and you just expand both ways and it just sort of, lead us not into, lead us not in the power of temptation. Lead us not in the power of the trial, but deliver us from evil. Pride is like an onion. Once you strip away a layer, you become proud of it. And you just keep going, right? <laughs> yeah. You can't run out of it, correct? You can't run out of it. Um, okay. My notes are a mess. You know, just look at that. They're just a mess. They're just a, they're a mess. You wouldn't even be able to know what I'm talking about. So what do you think the key is? Obviously, we're asking for God's protection. We want to make sure that that trial, and which God will obviously honor if we're in the right spirit, if we're in the right frame of mind. If we attack it from the sense of, you know, I deserve this. Why are you doing this to me? The pride, pride, pride. pride. You, you, I can tell you which way you're going to go. It's not hard. You'll figure it out exactly. But when you're submitting to God, what are you doing? You're allowing the scripture to, to tell you how to live. And you're accepting that. You're, and then the, the devil is resisted. You have one le- And you know what? The devil's not around. You know what? It's a lot easier. And you know where lust comes from? Pride. Think of that now. But it's, it's a double whammy. If you, can, if you can conquer pride, which is done through you allowing God to strengthen you, Satan, we're told, if you submit to God, he leaves. Do you see how powerful this is? I mean, it sounds almost too easy a formula, and yet it's right there for our good. It's right there. But what's the key? There's something here that allows us. Now, honestly, this is where God wants us. I, want to show, I wanted to show you this. Let's see. Uh, I don't know if I can find it right away. And we'll just talk about it. Uh, you remember on the night of Jesus' betrayal? Let's see if we can find it because there's two aspects to that. Um, let's see. Obviously, the Gospels. In the Garden of Gethsemane, um, let's see. This will work there. Um, there was, I'm going to have to talk about the one then. Do you remember as they were, you know, let, let's walk back to the, to the final night they were together, the, the, the last supper. And I talked about it last several weeks, actually, so I'll not go there. But there was a sense of pride in that room. How did Jesus conquer that? He became a servant. Yes, yeah, exactly right. He became a servant. And then what did he say? This was kind of the foot washing. This was the forgiving one another. Uh, do on to the other to show your love to the disciples as I've shown it to you tonight. And they will know you are Christians by your love. All of that is, is, is alluding to that. Then they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. What are they doing there? What was Jesus doing there? 
Oh, perspiring. I mean, so intense emotion. And I, I don't even know how to describe it. He's literally sweating, perspiring droplets of blood. Have anybody, have any of you prayed that hard? Wow. Has anyone had that kind of intention? You talk about stress, <laughs> right? Okay. But what, so what was he doing? He was praying. You know what he told the disciples? Now, of course, Peter had just told the world that I'm never going to deny you. <laughs> never. Never. Have you ever said that to Jesus? I'm never going to deny you. Don't do that. Because you know what's behind that? Amazing. Pride. But you remember what he said? Stay here and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. <laughs> you know, I've found in my life, if I'm praying, temptation is not even a thought. What did he find them doing after just a little while he came back? They were sleeping. sleeping. <laughs> right? Isn't that key? Now, I want you to... But he did it again. Exactly. But do you, see the, do, you see the, do you see this condition he's relaying there? If you're concerned about temptation, you're going to be talking to me. You're going to be talking to God. You're going to have your eyes on Jesus Christ. You want to be able to trust him more. Now, let me show you how he gave, an, gave a way out because they were not ready for this trial. He literally gave them a way out of this trial, which we talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There's always a way out. Let's go now to John. This will work for me. John chapter... 18, and let's see. Let's just start in, uh, well, let's just start in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither. Oh, I want to stop for a moment. Just struck me just like that. Just struck me like that. Why did Judas betray Jesus Christ? Ultimately, that's exactly what happened. But how did he let the devil in him? This is actually better than I thought. We are on a new... This is not any part of my notes, and this is beautifully to display... Excuse me? And how did, how did that happen? What, what was it? Where was the thing that really took Judas Iscariot and just launched him? He was just like, Arr! And he couldn't see this kingdom thing happening fast enough. Jesus was just this pushover softy. And he became what? Bitter. 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 And when what did he do? Bitterness does what? It wants to literally betray the innocent. He literally wants to take vengeance on this one that has caused him to not get what he deserved. Did I do that right? And for 30 pieces of silver, he betrayed the Son of God. Do you see how that bitterness led to, as Carol has just said, literally, that pride allowed Satan to enter his life and to betray the precious Son of God. A sin that was not forgiven. Jesus spoke where he would be. Isn't that crazy? Do you see how this fits? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Judas, then, having received a band... I've, I've read that. Uh, verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto the... In other words, what are they doing? They're in this garden and they're... I think he's actually talked to him the second time. What, are you going to fall asleep again? How are you going to fall? You're going to fall asleep. You've got to pray, people. And then here he comes, right? And watch. He steps out in front of them all, and he says, who do you seek? 
Let's keep reading. Whom seek you? Verse 5. They answered him. In other words, these, this group, this group of men, they have no idea what's going on. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, a sign. They, they, Judas Iscariot's going to kiss the one of which they're supposed to capture, right? So this one steps forward. They don't even know if they're in the right place. Who are you seeking? Uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. Watch. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as they had said that, on, that I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. Then he asked them again, whom seek you? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Now watch. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. He literally built in an escape clause to get the... Because those disciples were not ready to go to trial. They were not ready to go with Jesus where he was going. It, it was too much for them. Now, later, every one of the disciples, aside from Judas Iscariot, were asked to give their lives for Jesus. And you know what? At that right time, they were ready. They were ready. But you just, that's kind of cool, isn't it? He said, come on, guys, let's all go together. No, no, he said, no, take me, let these go, just as the scripture would be fulfilled. Just as it would be fulfilled. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. I want us to turn to Hebrews. We'll close right here. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. No, no, no. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm so sorry. Something else going on in my mind. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. We'll start in verse 12. Submitting to God. Think of that. Now, how do we? Obviously, do you see the key component to this? To, the, the way to get this test so that you succeed every single time is to submit to God. Because you get rid of two things. You get two, two offensive that Satan, first of all, will flee because you're submitting to God. Number two is that lust has no chance because if you're submitting to God, pride cannot have a hold in your life. Okay? So let's watch it. Verse 12. For the word of God is quick, that's alive, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now that is one powerful verse talking about the powerful word of God. Verse 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Is there anyone more close to what we need during a time of temptation and literally focus on Jesus Christ? The answer is no. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see the overarching plea for protection. It's there. It's just, and you know what? It's in such a state of humility. You can just, you can just see it and feel it. What a great place for us to end. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. (laughs) 
and forgive as we forgive our, as and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil oh my goodness can you think of anything more special than those intimate moments with our father just think of all of those things how they tie together the intimacy that he wants to have with us and just look at how this just fits in our life parasmus a test which way will you go you have a choice how do you respond to it it's interesting the same test how people respond various ways really interesting pride will always lead you to sin Trust will always be the ultimate result. Trust in God. Now, it, again, I, you know what? We never said this. I said it early on that a test or a trial will always have you trusting something or someone at, at, the, at, at the end of it. Every single time. God is asking that you would trust him. He wants that trial to show dependence on him. On the other side of it, who did you trust? Yourself. I deserve this. I want this. I need this. Why did you do this to me? There's a whole lot of people today that have had a test. And they're blaming God for sending the test. They have failed the test because it was about them. Let's go forward. Let's not even turn around and look back. Let's not consider the coincidences of circumstances. Those three, I'm going to come back to them and we'll close right here. Those three guys that stood up, <laughs> and you've seen pictures of it. You know, all of these other people bowing down, they stick out literally like a sore thumb. But you know what? Their eyes were never anywhere where but on their God that they knew that they could trust whether they lived or died. They were in his hands. Don't become in the hands of the trial. Stay in the boat. Be in the hands of your God. Follow him. Trust him. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for this. Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. It's so short and yet so succinct, so special, so amazing, so profound, so awesome and over the top to see how so simply all of, our, all of the things we need, all of the things that honor God and glorify him literally are accomplished in these few short words. Father, may we stay focused as you've even shown us now in Hebrews chapter 4, the strength and the power of the word of God and literally Jesus Christ, that one that was submitted to all, all kinds of temptations. And every single time, he relied on the word and upon the purity of God. He remained faithful to the promises that needed to be fulfilled. Even at that one time, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked, may this cup pass from me, but your will be done, not mine. Father, we say the same thing. We'll need strength. We'll need all kinds of power that we have no way of capably handling or using aside from you, Father, to instill it within us. We need you at every juncture in our life. Father, we humbly bow before you. Is this prayer literally, you, we end on our knees knowing that we need you to protect us, we need you to provide for us. And ultimately, Father, and more importantly than anything, we need you to forgive us. But Father, we know that we can count on that because you've promised to those that trust you. May we use each trial that comes in our lives to have an opportunity to literally trust you more. 
Thank you for the examples that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. Thank you for Abram. And we could go on and on. Those three men standing in the plain of Dura, they chose to trust you regardless of circumstances. Father, may that be true of us. May you be glorified and may we be blessed. Not because we deserve it, but because we're yours. Thank you for what you're accomplishing in our lives. Let's take one day at a time thanking you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.